Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle podcast. Today we're talking about our Peace Park and nuclear disarmament in Newcastle. And I'm joined by the amazing Linda Forbes, who is a secretary of the Hunter Peace Group. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here, Linda. You would remember way back in 1982 on the 29th of June, Newcastle was declared a nuclear-free zone by the late Lord Mayor Joy Cummings AM. Now, decades and decades later, despite our continued advocacy here at the City of Newcastle, including support for the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons back in 2019, Australia is yet to sign and ratify the treaty, which did come into force in January this year. This is topical particularly given the recent blow-up over us here in Australia signing a deal with the US. Definitely. Commissioning the fleet of nuclear submarines in particular. At a local level, we've worked with you to identify a location of a peace park. Yes. <laughs> which is fantastic. I would like to know some of your history, Linda, of how you got involved in the peace movement. Okay. Well, actually... I was born in Scotland, as you can probably hear, and the Polaris submarines were um, a big thing in the west coast of Scotland. And I was coming from a political family, of course, you know, there was much discussion about this. And when I was about 14, I went with my big sister through to the west of Scotland to, on my first protest. And it was it was against nuclear submarines then and the CND at that time was the big peace movement in uh, Scotland and Britain. What year was that Linda? Oh well let me see 44 and I was 14 so 58 roughly. So 1958 you went to your first march peace march in Scotland. Yeah I think so I think it was 58. Interesting that it was a a a similar topic Mm. to what's happening right now in 2021. And I might say that there's still peace groups in, in Britain still protesting against the Polaris submarines, although they've been updated since then, in the in the west of Scotland, you know. Plus all the transportation of the nuclear uh, requirements that you know, through the through Britain, you know. And that's a that's a that's a huge worry too, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we we wrote to you about Newcastle becoming a nuclear free city again, which thank you very much, the council agreed and that it should be redeclared that and it was wonderful. We've had a long history in being at the forefront of this type of political advocacy, Mm. particularly under the leadership back in the 80s of Lord Mayor Joy Cummings. Mm. And I think it's really relevant today that a progressive council like we have at Mm. the City of Newcastle make sure that we continue that progressive advocacy. I remember marching down King Street or Hunter Street when I was a little girl here Mm. in Newcastle and the chant then was, all we are saying is give peace a chance. chance yeah. And, yeah, I remember being pretty little and marching with my parents, so we probably had uh, similar yes. uh, political upbringing. Oh, I think so, yes. Uh-huh. When you got to Australia, oh. you worked for the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union for a number of years. I did. I was there for 18 years. All the women that worked there, we were all very, you know, political and active you would know Jan Anderson, who was there for a long time, and Nancy Ball and her sister Doreen. And, you know, it was just part of the thing. You just were social justice issues, peace issues, you know. I joined the UAW in 19, 
around about 1975, I think. And uh, so it's just been a continuation um, because there's always something to correct, you know, always some injustice, be it the fair wage campaign or, you know, a Save Our Sons campaign that the uh, UAW women were involved in or um, housing, hospitals, Medicare. There's always something that needs to be improved. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And mm-hmm. for me, it's really interesting you sometimes don't hear the stories of, like yourselves, like women like yourselves, mm-hmm. Linda, who have worked and had a very long career mm-hmm. fighting for those social justice mm-hmm. issues that sometimes are taken for granted of people of my generation or even younger, mm-hmm. the working conditions that you would have fought for through the AMWU back when you worked there. Mm-hmm. Are there any campaigns that stand out for you? I think the, the the biggest campaign was really the Vietnam War time, you know, that was huge. So the whole peace movement, and the peace movement was was enormous in Newcastle at that time. Nearly every union had a peace committee, every ship had a peace committee, you know, and uh, Trades Hall, under Peter Barrick's guidance at the time, he, I think it was the Newcastle Peace Committee it was called, and, he, you know, he was just amazing at organising everybody. Yeah, Peter mm-hmm. was fantastic. My mum actually worked uh, with him back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I keep in close contact with Di these days. Oh, yes, he's, he's fantastic. Also an yeah. amazing woman. Your Newcastle is changing daily and we care about you. Have your say at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. We do have a, a wonderful progressive history, particularly in the protest movement and the oh, social yes. justice movement. Yeah. And I think it's really shaped who we are as mm. Nova Castrians today. And that's why at council, it was actually unanimous support of mm-hmm. forming a, a peace park. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that idea of yours and where that's going to be located. Well, Peace Park is to honour the activists. I mean, Newcastle has had a huge, as you know, long history. I think it goes back to the early 1900s, maybe even before, um, of um, advocating for peace and fighting for peace and being anti-war. Newcastle had had so many good peace activists. I mean, you couldn't name them all, really. So peace part's kind of a nice way of embracing everybody and and hopefully bringing awareness to the younger generation that is has been fought for, is still being fought for, and it's necessary that it's continued to be fought for until it's achieved. I mean, at the moment you'll think it's never going to be achieved. So the peace park is, is a big symbol and a big thank you. And the park that we put forward was the Ties Hill Reserve, opposite um, Ties Hill TAFE College. Actually, we were there yesterday having a look. And uh, it's lovely, really. It's very pe- it is a peaceful park. And we don't want to change it much, but, you know, except for signage so they know what it is and a couple of little things that we're meeting with Rachel from the council next week and uh, to talk about, actually, what we were thinking. But it doesn't need to be changed much, you know. Like a flagpole, so we can put our flag up. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's symbolic of the city's history Mm. and also important that we acknowledge that in these times, I mean, we're in a global pandemic at the moment, and these challenges are challenges that I don't think are going to go away. And it's unfortunate that 
that peace is still an aspiration. I know. I think I thought when I was young and went to those marches as a, a very young child that by the time I was an adult, well, definitely there's so many people want peace in the world mm. that surely it would be achieved. But it seems like it, it is just an aspiration and we have been through many wars uh, fighting for our democratic rights and our freedoms here. And I think it's fitting that we are talking on Remembrance Day. Yes. And that wasn't necessarily deliberate. It was just the day that you were available. <laughs> but we are remembering 103 years since the end of World War I. That's right. And it's really the start of, I think, the, the modern world we live in. And that armistice was about trying to achieve peace. Exactly. And that was committed to by many nations around the world. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's still a fight for us. It is still a fight for us. I mean, on another day, International Day of Peace this year, was the day that the announcement was made about us getting a fleet of nuclear submarines. Whether that was deliberate, you know, or not, but it seemed like the three countries, the USA, UK and us, Australia, are just thumbing their nose at the, the, the treaty that was ratified back in January this year. It is interesting that that was the day that was chosen. It's been a complete disaster in terms of international relations. <gasps> yes. And that disaster just keeps getting worse and worse by the moment. But mm -hmm. some of the more ludicrous parts of that announcement are around the time frame and it's, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about fleets of military protection that arrive in 25 years' time. So yeah. everything's going to be fine for 25 years, but we definitely, in that time frame, it, none of it makes a lot uh, of sense. It's got to make you rather sceptical. I think it, this sounds like a conspiracy theory now. Mm. But I don't know if, if it's just a big furphy. And it's really been done so that the... You, the Australia and the USA could do a, do a deal to get a larger American base up in the Northern Territory because both countries are have committed to spending a billion dollars on upgrading the five bases up there uh, to accommodate more personnel but, you know, just to update the training grounds, the storage grounds, the, you name it, housing, everything. And they've also asked... A couple of years ago, the USA asked if they could build a port at Glide Point up there. Now, that's all gone very quiet. But it was interesting that would be the Northern Territory government, I guess, built a $40 million road to Glide Point, uh, claiming that um, it was for the local fishermen and they needed a new road. So it's a bit suspicious, all of it, and I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but the Americans have also asked if they can store armaments stockpile armaments in the Northern Territory as well. And, you know, airports are getting made, able to accommodate the large warplanes and so on. So it, you just wonder if it's more that we're, it's to get us to become like a another Guam or Okinawa or something like that. So. It seems like a pretty 101 defence strategy if you are looking to assume that there would be some sort of warfare north of Australia that you'd want to fortify defences on the on the northern side, it, that doesn't seem like a conspiracy. It just seems like defence strategy one hundred and one. But then you have to ask, what sort of war are they planning for? And 
is there a diplomatic way to not have one? There's always a diplomatic way to not have one. Exactly. Uh, we seem to be lacking in good diplomacy now, don't we? we? A few decades ago, politicians were rather good diplomats. We don't seem to have that. They don't seem to have that ability now. And of course, they're blaming China for all this. That China's the one that's a threat, and all the rest of it, which is a bit dubious, really. So it is a worry. We've totally offended Indonesia. They've offended all the Pacific nations, who have, many of whom have signed the the treaty, the peace treaty, uh, the nuclear weapons treaty, and they're all thinking that you know Australia just does not respect them at all, and and that's bad. Feeling social. Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. What I find being in this role for the last seven years, being on council for the last 13, and I'm obviously very involved in local government Mm. and supporting the local community, but you obviously are very aware of what's happening in your state and federal parliaments and internationally, because obviously it has an effect on us all. And diplomacy doesn't seem to be a priority uh, at the moment, which is very unfortunate. Mm. I think it it could be a priority, but people seem to have a race to the bottom attitude around winning elections. I know. And that really results in uh, fear campaigns taking hold. So if you can scare people and to make them fearful into believing whatever it is, whether it's around war or, or China or some sort of xenophobia that there's votes in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really sad about the political discourse. Yes. Instead of actually how do we work together mm. to leave no one behind, to build a better city, a better nation, it's about how can we run a, a, a scare campaign to scare people into not voting for them and voting for us. That's right. And I see it even at a local government level all yeah. the time. Fear and misinformation yeah. seems to be the mainstay of a political mm-hmm. discourse And I think it's coupled also with the changing media landscape, Mm -hmm. which I don't always think is a particularly bad thing. I think change is always good and disruption was definitely needed, Mm. particularly when you look at the power and the agglomeration of some international Mm. media groups. But when nothing is fact-checked and you can just have the fear and the misinformation Mm. leading the discourse, Mm. it is a race to the bottom. And it makes me wonder how much actually they know about political history of the country or, or, or any of it really, because history plays a big part in, in your diplomacy, I think, and how you handle things. Well, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. Exactly, yes. And that's why this Peace Park is important, because yes. for people that uh, don't know about the political activism that's mm. come out of Newcastle and they don't know about that history... It'll be a place to recognise it yes. and also something to aspire for because, mm. you know, what is the point of all of us yes. in these roles if yes. we aren't aspiring to peace? Well, exactly, and and it is important that we have peace. I mean, we've got so much poverty in this country, I mean, across the world, but in Australia, the poverty level is horrific. The homeless level is horrific. You know, we need... The education system fixed. We need, we need the the hospital and the health fi- systems fixed. And that's the argument, and isn't it? And that's where the money should be getting. That's spent, the argument. Isn't it? That's the you rub. Know? With all of this money going into defence and infrastructure that assumes conflict, mm. when 
people are homeless, people yeah. uh, need access to better education. Uh-huh. That's the rub. Yeah. Why not have diplomacy that allows sovereignty of individual nations and then allow individual nations to spend on educating yes. and housing their populations to address inequality? Well, exactly. And I mean, I always believe that you should take care of those less fortunate first. You know, and you build your budget or whatever from the from there. And if you've got something left over, well, you can maybe do something, something you know, a little bit controversial. But that's not the way it works. It's it's working from the top down. And there's too many people that are missing out. And our kids for je- decades now have not had many of our kids, I should say. They've not had the luxury of a full-time job or a skill, mucked up TAFE and they've lost apprenticeships and God knows what else. I saw an interesting statistic yesterday around access to income and full-time stable employment Mm. and the correlation to happiness. Mm. And that was actually done through the Unions Australia. And I thought that's uh, very interesting because obviously there's the old adage and it's pretty true money doesn't buy happiness but there is a level of income that does equate and I think the the stat was over $70,000 a year and you can see happiness rates Mm -hmm. start to stabilize and increase but under that for households it's a struggle and it and it affects people's quality of life it does and I think once we can address that inequality whether it be through and I think it needs to be through the intersection of government, civil society and the private sector all working for the same goal. It is achievable, but we all have to be pulling in the same direction. What's happening in your Newcastle? Subscribe to our mailing list at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. These are heavy topics. These are serious topics. Mm. But there has been fun on, oh, yeah. the, on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. I heard a great story around some of the peace campaigns that Joy Cummings was involved mm-hmm. in, the late, great Joy Cummings, mm-hmm. around theatre groups and oh, wheelbarrows yes. and green cake. The green cake, I think, symboled radiation. And that, that's right. I'd for, to be truthful, I'd forgotten about that. Natalia, I'm sorry. But yes, there was a lot of fun and it was more hopeful, I think. I think in those days, we were more hopeful that we could achieve peace. And so there was a joyousness about many of the, the rallies and things like that, you know, and, and there were so many people involved. It was wonderful. So, um, but the, since then, the world's changed tremendously and we don't have that feeling of joy much anymore, which is sad, I think. I hope you've got to hang on to. I mean, I, I hope that... I do believe that one day the good will prevail and we'll get... I don't know if we'll get total peace, but I think we'll get a more peaceful world. There's lots and lots and lots of groups across the world who are advocating for it and fighting for it. So it's got to, it's got to happen eventually. Yeah, we are fortunate to live in mm-hmm. a, a peaceful democracy in Australia. Mm. And it is. I think it is important that our leaders promote peace and mm. also ensure that they are spending... Uh, our taxpayer dollars to promote peace and diplomacy uh, over conflict. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, why do we have to build submarines? We, you know, to get, I don't know if it's the right thing to say in this conversation, but, for instance, Australia is is a merchant, you know, it's it's an island and had a huge merchant fleet. Uh, I don't know how many ships there are now, but it's maybe on one hand you could count. 
and they could be building, you know, merchant ships instead of submarines. So Absolutely. That, so that, reinvest you know, in our maritime industry. That would be fantastic, you know, because that's what we really are is a maritime industry. You know, we've been built on the maritime coal and agriculture, you know. Absolutely. Mm. It's pretty sad what they have done to mm. our merchant seafarers. Oh, yeah. And all that has done is create huge inequalities mm. in really a slave labour yes. from international seafarers exactly and right. um, decimated good Australian jobs. And mm. I think if you speak to the Maritime Union of Australia, they will be fighting pretty hard if we do get a progressive uh, government, which I do hope for, that that will be rectified and changed. Mm. Because, again, those jobs are important jobs for Australians that coupled with local manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think if the global pandemic has shown us anything, Mm -hmm. we need to manufacture onshore and support Australian jobs. Yeah, I mean, we used to have a fantastic manufacturing industry. And, uh, I mean, I, for one, feel, you know, with the the huge closures that happened back in the 80s and 90s, it took the heart out of Newcastle, you know, for a long time. I do believe that's coming back, but I did. I think it's people didn't quite know what to do, you know, and too many of our children never got the opportunity for a proper, let's say, call it a proper job, but you know what I mean. Whether it's a a trade or a traineeship or anything, they didn't get that opportunity, and there's and they're still working casual casual hours and gig economies and or or not getting anything. It is definitely going to be a challenge over the coming years, and one that we're really proud to stand alongside yourself Linda and the Hunter Peace Movement to support you in that campaign here in the city of Newcastle because it is about quality of life and that means jobs. It means jobs yes and well and I'm going to be now to say thank you and to every councillor that voted for the city to be called declared a nuclear free city again and for this wonderful peace part that we've just about got I think <laughs> I hope well you're very welcome and <coughs> we do have wonderful staff and some wonderful oh, yes. councillors at the city of Newcastle that are really proud to work with you and the Hunter Peace Group mm. on establishing a peace park and hopefully we'll be able to get it opened and fly your flag very proudly oh, and thank you for flying our flag on on Hiroshima Day because that was a, a, sad, a shame we couldn't have had the ceremony but it, our, we were just so proud to see it flying alongside ICANN's and, and the Aboriginal Nations flag and the Australian flag of course so. It's a pleasure. It's These great. symbols mean mm-hmm. mean something to the people of Newcastle, and I think it's important that we mark the, these uh, occasions, uh, whether they are to be commemorated or to be celebrated. Yes. And doing that recognises our history, but mm-hmm. also shows us what we need to do or aspire to to create that sense of belonging in Newcastle and Novacastrians are proud people and they they like to celebrate their history uh, in all shapes and forms, the good, the bad, the ugly but also celebrate uh, some of the wonderful movements like the peace movement that has come out of this city and I think it's a, a good opportunity to remind everyone the importance of that movement. I agree and I mean we've been asked why, why do we bother? Why are you still commemorating Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings. And, you know, from 1945 until I think it was about 62, 2086 nuclear weapons were detonated when they were trialling them in various parts of the world. 
and no least place was um, in Australia, where the British did. And there's still far too many of our First Nations people who were families who were there at the time. They're they're are still suffering Maralinga? from the effects of that Maralinga, mm. Emu Plains, and I forget the other one. And uh, and it's wrong. And and I mean, you've got the Marshall Islands and the, you know, it's just a horrific. All these places are still feeling the effects of the um, explosions, uh, you know, in the name of testing. And as long as uh, they're still being tested today, and now we're back to where we started with the Australia be- maybe becoming a nuclear-armed submarine uh, owner, um, it's just wrong, and we'll keep passing that message on as long as we can. Keep up the good fight, Linda. People need to understand, and I don't think they understand what that actually means in terms of creating a nuclear industry in this country. It's huge. Huge. And I think there'll be a lot more said, probably by a lot more important people than us on it. But it's good that we can have this discourse in a very open and transparent way Mm. in Newcastle. So thank you for your activism (laughs) over many years and thank you for joining me today. And thank you for yours and, um, well, you've got an election coming up, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 